Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. That is awesome. Hey, we are in this sermon series titled, This is Love. It's an Easter uh, theme series. We see that in the resurrection, uh, in death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see how that changes everything for us, especially as uh, it is concerning love. We, the very definition of, of love, we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus' death and resurrection. Last week, we started into this three-part series. We talked about a love that forgives sin. Today, we'll focus on the love that conquers death, and next week, the love that makes all things new. So I want to start today by reading a couple of verses from Acts. Would you uh, stand with me and go to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. If you don't have a Bible with you today, um, feel free to raise your hand and we'll get you one. One of our ushers would be glad to give you one. If you don't have a Bible of your own, like at home, just take it. It's a gift from Cornerstone Church. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. This is Peter speaking. This is after the resurrection. Peter says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you, speaking to the Jews, killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel and us would repent of their sins and be forgiven. He goes on to say, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Flip a few pages over to Acts chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 32. Acts 13, this is Paul this time speaking about the resurrection. Paul says, and now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise that was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. Verse 34, for God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the, in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, just bringing us here to worship your name. Your name is holy. It is the name that has power uh, to just change our lives. And because of your resurrection, we can experience new life now and also into eternity. So we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would just set people free this morning, God. And if there are places in their lives that, that are dead or broken or feel hopeless, or maybe they are literally hopeless in that area, Lord God, I pray that you would resurrect that area by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, just even now, begin to work in their hearts, Lord, as they hear your Word. Your Word changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks for reading with me. We're talking about, today we're talking about uh, how the resurrection of Jesus is God conquering death. You know, death is the great tragedy of the human experience. It is a tragedy. Why? Because God never intended it to be that way. Originally, God created us to live forever and to enjoy fellowship with Him. But as soon as we made, speaking of Adam and Eve and, and on through the rest of us that descended from them, as soon as we made that sinful and selfish choice, 
we all became instantly subjected to sin and entropy. Everything tends to naturally fall apart. We naturally tend in all of our interactions with one another towards sinfulness and selfishness. And this creates uh, a, lot of, a lot of sorrow for us and ultimately leads to death. Death is a great, a great tragedy. Now, you may be somebody who uh, imagines catastrophes around the other corner. Maybe you're not. But the reality is, is that we all live under this shroud of death. It's something that we, we constantly have hanging over us. As the saying goes, no one gets out of here alive, right? Even the avoidance of aging is a burgeoning industry. We do everything we can to feel and to look, as Bob Dylan says, forever young. And all kidding aside, the, the fear of fears is, is death, right? The ultimate fear is death. Uh, society, sociologists have observed that uh, just about every society has its own versions of immortality symbols, uh, these things that give the assurance of living forever. Um, in ancient times, it was all about being properly enshrined or properly buried. Think of the, the pyramids or the Taj Mahal, okay? For Americans, perhaps it's our trust funds or our retirement accounts or getting our name on the, a building at a college or, or having a statue made of us or something like that. I mean, we, we want to make this name for ourselves that, and, and, and enshrine it so that it will live on beyond our time, thinking that we'll, we'll care, somehow carry our legacy forward in that way. Now, some of these things are, are not bad. They may even have decent motivations, us trying to, you know, leave a, a scholarship fund or something like that, just to try to make the world a better place for, for future generations. Those things can, can be good. But as far as immortality goes, those things fall woefully short. Just because you have your name on a college uh, or your name on a scholarship doesn't mean that you literally live on forever. See, death is the great ending. It is a great finality, the inescapable curtain call, if you will. And so when Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday, it was anything but good, especially from where his disciples were standing. I mean, they, they had invested just about everything they had into following him. Imagine the times, many of them have families and jobs, imagine the time away from their family, imagine the time away from their work, and a time that they could never get back, and now Jesus is, is passed away, he's been buried, he's in the tomb, and, and their hearts are broken. Their hope, it, it looks like it, it's gone. And so I imagine they felt a little hollow, and, and maybe their eyes were even swollen from weeping. Right? They think, how, how could this be, Right? Have you ever seen uh, the movie Les Mes? Has anybody ever seen that? I painfully watched that movie. Keisha says, that's my favorite. I saw that. I saw, Did you see the movie with Hugh Jackman? Yes. You like that? Um, I like the live version much better. The live version much better, okay. I went into that movie not realizing that they were literally going to sing every word. And so after like 15 minutes, I was like looking around. <laughs> you know, what am I getting myself into here? <laughs> But do you remember when Fontaine sings, I dreamed a dream that cannot be, right? And that captures the kind of broken-hearted despair that these disciples felt at this time. And I think it's good for us to not rush past this moment and thinking about how they felt because, you know, the darkness and tragedy of Good Friday is often how we feel in life. We feel overwhelmed by the brokenness in our world. We feel, feel just overwhelmed with discouragement or despair, 
We're aware of the darkness or the fear in our own hearts. And we have this sense that, that death, death is the end of all possibilities. And there's no answer for it. And we kind of come to this place, well, if there's no answer for death, then maybe there's no answer for anything else. Who can lift our heavy hearts? Well, in the Song of Solomon, we read that there is a love that is stronger than death. And on Easter morning, God the Father showed us that love, that love that is stronger than death. And we see through the preaching of the New Testament, both in in Acts and in Paul's writings, that God makes a very clear point, that the writers make a very clear point, that God literally raised Jesus from the dead. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that resurrection for a minute, and then also what what it is not. And then we'll look at a few things from 1 Corinthians 15. So... The gospel writers and the first preachers of Jesus wanted us to know that Jesus did really and truly die. He was buried. He was fully dead. But God the Father did not abandon his beloved son in the grave. He vindicated his faithful obedience. He sacrificial death by raising him up to new life. There are a few ways the New Testament says this. Uh, We just read these verses in Acts chapter 5. Look at those again. Acts chapter 5. 30 and 31. Look at those one more time. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God has exalted him to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. Just as a side point, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he die? We see the answer right here. Twofold, he died so that Israel and us could change. How many of you remember back to before you made Jesus the leader of your life? Are you glad that Jesus changed you or are you kind of ho-hum about it? How many of you are glad? Absolutely. Jesus died so that we could be changed. Change wasn't a possibility before that. Not not a true change. We can uh, humanly do some things to manage our behavior. My father-in-law, Mark, you remember Mark, he was here, he preached, he moved back to Michigan. Um, he, he worked as a jail administrator for 30 plus years, and they had all sorts of ways to manage behavior, but it, did it ever truly change a, one of those person's hearts? No, not really. It just kind of kept things at bay, and that's how it is for us as well. Jesus died so that we could experience a true change in our heart and in our life, and more importantly, that we could be forgiven. Prior to Jesus coming, when they would do animal sacrifices, that kind of just set sins off to the side, okay? It just kind of accumulated up on the side. It made you okay for now, but you had this, it's like you had this running tab of sins and, and you, you still remembered and felt guilty for those things that you did, the way you, you breached your relationship with others or with God. And sacrificial, those sacrifices never really forgave you, never really relieved the guilt that you felt in your heart and gave you that fresh start. But when Jesus came and died, now when you express faith in Christ and you ask the Father for forgiveness, He forgives you. And it's like it never happens. There's no tab. There's no bill. There's nothing that he brings up later on. It's just done. And he says that, you know what? He does that over and over and over. How many of you have asked God to forgive you more than one time? For the same thing even. 
And you're like, if I were you, I wouldn't forgive me, but I'm glad you aren't me. How many of you are glad you, God isn't like you? Amen. Paul expands on this, speaking of Jesus being raised from the dead, in Acts 13. Go back over there. He says, we proclaim to you the good news. What God promised, he did. He raised up Jesus. He explicitly says, God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Never again to be subjected to earth's decay. Down a little bit, just as a side point. He says, David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died and was buried with his ancestors. He experienced death's decay. Death's decay, but the one whom God has raised up didn't experience death's decay. So two things that come to my, my mind. In my notes, I, I love that scripture. It just caught me. David served God's purpose in his own generation. And I just have to ask you the question kind of as a side. What purpose are you serving in your generation? David served his purpose and then he died. You have an appointment some point in the future, should the Lord tarry with death. We all do, right? That, that moment when our physical body dies and is buried. What purpose are we serving up until that point, right? That doesn't sound like very good news. It's a challenging question. But because the one whom God has raised up didn't experience death's decay, we too can be, will be raised up at the last day. We will be raised up and given a glorious body just as Jesus was given. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Paul would develop these thoughts even further in his letter to the churches. He started or he was trying to encourage. He understood that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just good news for Jesus. Not only is Jesus glad he's, he's not dead anymore, right? But it's good news for everyone. Everyone who expresses faith in Christ, God the Father will raise up in the same way. Now, there were some Christians in Corinth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There were some Christians in Corinth. They wondered if all this was really necessary. I mean, did, did Jesus really have to uh, literally be raised from the dead? Couldn't we just say he was like metaphorically raised from the dead? And he's, he's alive in our hearts. Isn't that, isn't that good enough? And Paul says, No. No, nope, in fact, it's not. So we're going to look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Let's start in, in verse 20. Look at that with me today. Paul writes in 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. I just want to pause. Something just came to me. You know, we say, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, speaking that, that our DNA, the, just the genetic makeup stems from this, this first man that God created and, and embedded in us is this this uh, tendency, we are naturally subjected to entropy. We're naturally subjected to uh, uh, falling apart, if you will, especially as we age. We have such a hard time keeping, <laughs> keeping the tone, the six-pack. I don't think... Has anybody ever tried to get a six-pack? It is so hard. It is so hard. Oh, man, never mind. I digress. 
I digress. Good, that's from Adam. That right there is from Adam. But everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And then we'll think about that, take the analogy over. We share Adam's genetic makeup and his tendency towards entropy, towards falling apart. But we also share this spiritual makeup through our faith in Christ. It's something like, like we have been transformed, right? It's like we've taken on this supernatural quality. Because we belong to Christ, and so now there are certain things that are true about our life simply because of that, just as the other things were true. And so Paul continues, he says, but, no, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at, as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So we have this, this promise here. Now, uh, there are three things I, oh, I stopped just short. Uh, forgive me. Go two more verses, sorry. Um, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to the God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the first of three things I see Paul saying to us. That res- the resurrection is the defeat of death. Now, let's be clear. Paul calls death an enemy. Death is not a friend. Death is not a doorway into eternity. Death is a beast. Okay? It is an enemy. But it's an enemy that will be destroyed because of Jesus' victory over death on Easter. I mean, can you imagine being free from the fear of death? I just thought about this the other day. I thought, I, I don't often think about that. I'm not really afraid of of death as a follower of Christ. Because even the worst type of death, which would be eaten by a shark, oh man, that's like my ultimate, a slow munch, I could, man. I shouldn't have brought that up. Anybody else afraid of like being eaten by a shark? Isn't that awful? That would be so bad. Oh, that's why I don't swim in the ocean. I don't swim in the ocean. You're with me on that? I might go up to like this far, but you know, they can come in and get you. I don't go in the ocean. Oh, yes, but I don't have to fear that big old shark. I don't have to fear any type of death ultimately because of my faith in Christ. I mean, think about when power is abused, right? Every time power is abused, whether it be by a tyrant, a thief, a dictator, a despot, they all resort ultimately to one thing, right? I'm going to kill you death, or I'm going to kill someone that you love, right? But when death no longer holds a sting, tyrants, they don't have any power anymore. And this is what happened in the early centuries when Caesar, after Caesar, would threaten to kill Christians if they didn't renounce their faith. They would come and say, renounce your faith or die, be burned on a, on a, on a, on a cross. And yet these Christians, they were not afraid. They did not fear death because of their faith. They knew that they belonged to the one who would raise them up, the one who had conquered death. And so this is why it's so important that we understand what really happened to Jesus. Okay, he, he didn't have a, a near-death experience and then get resuscitated. Okay? It wasn't that he passed out on the cross only to be refreshed by the cool air of the tomb. He died. The piercing of his side, which caused blood and water to flow out. That's a medical uh, note on the finality of his death. Uh, the disciples were not hallucinating. 
when they saw Jesus. This is why the gospel writers tell stories of Jesus not recon- of the disciples not recognizing Jesus at times. There was something familiar and also something very different about him. His body seemed to have these new, uh, perhaps spiritual properties that allowed him to appear in, in locked rooms behind closed doors, and yet his body had those properties where he could still eat, right? Thomas could touch his scars, see his wounds. They weren't hallucinating. And they weren't speaking metaphorically when they were talking about the resurrection. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is alive in our hearts. No, he was literally alive. And so by the time Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he can say to them that he is simply the last in a long line of witnesses to the resurrection. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Look in verses, uh, start with verse 3. 15.3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 followers uh, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And so Paul says he is the last of a long line of witnesses, which brings us to this first uh, point of application is that I would encourage you to investigate the evidence. I uh, have had on my uh, on my. My reading, I've been reading The Case for Christ. Thank you, Mike. I'm almost done with that, that book. That is a fantastic book. In fact, I would, I'm thinking of hosting like a, a movie night so we, anybody who's interested in the community or congregation could watch that with me and then kind of kick off a, a book study through the, through the summer and fall because it, uh, to me it it's shows so clearly uh, the evidence that supports Jesus' death and resurrection. So I would encourage you, investigate the evidence. Check it out for yourself. Now, um, the second note or thing that we can note from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is about the meaning and significance of the resurrection. See, the resurrection is God's new beginning when all possibilities have ended. The resurrection is not a resuscitation. It's not a hallucination. It's not a figure of speech. The resurrection is uh, what only God can bring about when all other possibilities have ended. One thing that, uh, that occurred to me, just kind of as a, as a side note, is you know, when you make Jesus the leader of your life, he doesn't resuscitate you uh, in the sense that he doesn't give you another way to live your old life. A lot of the world's religions, that's exactly what they do. They give you an, a new way or another way to live your old life. But over time, you realize that nothing is really that different. The results are still the same. The way you feel inside and the quality of your relationships are all the same. It's not that way when you make Jesus the leader of your life. He gives you a new way. He replaces your old, natural, and sinful, and selfish tendencies with supernatural, unselfish tendencies, so that when you are tempted to do that, or just kind of act or interact with people in the way that you used to, the Holy Spirit gives you a new way. So when you used to respond angrily, now you respond 
gently. When you used to, uh, not, you used to lack self-control in this way, as soon as that comes, the Holy Spirit gives you God gives you the ability to have self-control in that instance. And this is good news because ultimately this sets us free from those, that self-destructive way of life that just tends to ruin our relationships and our health and our finances. He gives you a new life, a resurrected life, if you will. And so the question is, do you need resurrection in your own life? What things are dead? What relationships are dead? What things in your life, maybe friendships or careers that you look at and you say, it's dead. There's nothing left I can do. I want you to know that we serve a God that specializes in that. How many of you can testify to God resurrecting a part or a relationship in your life? Something that you, just, you, you know it was God that brought that back. I have. And so, you know, maybe you don't want to think about those places or areas in your life because you think, well, what's the point? How could God possibly change my story? But that brings me to the last thing about the resurrection that we learned from Paul, and that is that the resurrection is a gift. The resurrection is a gift. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, please. 21 and 22. So you see, Paul says, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given, will be given a new life. When you make Jesus the leader of your life, you do nothing. You do nothing except express faith in Christ. You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. And in that moment, God counts you as righteousness, he, he, meaning he counts you as being in right standing with himself, that, that all that debt, all that debt of sin that kept being pushed off because of the animal sacrifices and never really accounted for, all that just got wiped away simply because you confessed with your mouth, you believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, there is nothing you can do to earn it. There is nothing you can do to deserve it. The resurrection life that, that God gives you is a gift. Are you catching why this is so, such good news this morning? And so we see that one day all who are uh, in Christ will be raised up with glorious new bodies. They will have bodies just like Jesus did. We don't know what those bodies will be like. We'll just know that they will be transformed they might use the same materials, they might, but have new properties. And all of that is wonderful. It's a great idea. And that's why so many Christians now for uh, 17 years, 1,700 years, in the words of the Nicene Creed, said that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. But we don't have to wait necessarily for resurrection life at that time when God gives us a new body we can experience that right now. We can experience resurrection life in us today. Paul, uh, after writing to the Corinthians about the significance and meaning in res of the resurrection, he wrote to the Christians in Rome. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8, just a couple last verses here. Romans 8, verse 11. Paul says, The Spirit of God, excuse me, 
Yes, Paul. Paul says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So we see God the Father with the Holy Spirit raising Jesus literally from the dead. And one day we, all those who express faith in Christ will experience that same literal resurrection as we are given a new, a new body. And yet right now, the Holy Spirit indwells followers of Christ and he resurrects those parts of our lives that are dead. I had this picture. Uh, I remembered this scripture in Ezekiel 37 uh, you might have read about the, uh, the valley of dry bones and, and God told Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones and tell them to come back together into, into human skeletons. How many of you have ever read that before? You've read that. And the bones and the muscles and they all come together and they look like people, but they're lifeless. And he said, prophesy. And the Holy Spirit came on those bones and literally brought them back to life. And it was a picture of what God wanted to do in Israel at that time. And I think that that is also a picture of what God wants to do in our own lives. He wants to bring this resurrection life. And if you have the Holy Spirit living within you because you are a follower of Christ, then the parts of your life that are dead cannot help but come back to life. In the, in the, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom from these natural tendencies that tend to muck up our lives. There's freedom from the things that, that break down our relationship. When we invite the Holy Spirit into a situation, that situation has to come back to life. It cannot resist His power. And so I implore you this morning, uh, just as a point of application, to invite the Holy Spirit into those parts of your life that just seems so broken and so hopeless because it will, God will raise that part up. I believe it. And so um, we see God the Father along with the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead. That same love that raised him up that did not abandon Jesus to the grave is the same love that, that will not let us go. He loves us with a love that is stronger than death. Stronger than death. And so Paul finishes out Romans 8. Uh, look at those last couple verses there, Romans 8, 37. Paul writes, he says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death. Notice that that is the very first thing that he mentions. Death cannot separate you from the love of God, nor, neither angels nor demons Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus took on death and let it exhaust its power on him, because the Father in his love raised Jesus up from the grave, vindicating Jesus' faithfulness and demonstrating his love. Now for all of us who are in Jesus, nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. We see that this, this is love when we look at Jesus' death and resurrection. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. 
We thank you so much that you set us free from that fear. Lord, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear that as an end, Lord. You have conquered it. You have given us victory over death. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can, we have that promise in the future of that, that resurrected body. But we have also that promise now that the parts of our lives, Lord, that are broken, that are dead, we can experience new life in those. And so we just invite the Holy Spirit, just as a congregation, into our lives, into this place right now, that you begin that work, God, that you begin to, to work in those marriages, Lord, that, that these, they seem too far gone. Those parent-child relationships, grandparent-grandchildren uh, relationships, Lord, those places that that seem too far gone. I pray you would renew them, those careers, those friendships. God, I pray you begin to renew them right now by the power of your spirit. We thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and for time to worship today. Go with us the rest of this afternoon. Just bless this day. Bless this week as we continue to reach out, as we continue to serve and give and pray for our community, Lord, bless our efforts. Take the little that we do and multiply it, Lord. Let it have a tremendous impact and build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Make sure you give someone a handshake, high five, or a hug on your way out. God bless you. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.